Hey there, and welcome back to another Bellorific edition of This Is Comp, a sub-series of Discord and Rhyme where we talk about compilations and box sets, artist by artist, song by song. I'm Rich Bennell. I'm Ben Marlin. And I'm Amanda Rogers. Hey, Ben, are you ready for some accordion? There's going to be lots of accordion in this episode. I Woo! love the accordion. Yeah, well, I heard you like accordion, so I put some accordion in your accordion so we can polka <laughs> while we polka. Thank you, Rich. I've got, I've got all the memes from 2010 here on our podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> So for today's episode, we are returning to a series we started back in the spring where we go through Weird Al Yankovic's medleys consisting of polka-style renditions of contemporary chart hits and discuss the songs song by song, you know, like we do on this podcast because we just can't help ourselves. Uh, but, but first, Ben, this is your first time joining us for one of these episodes. Where, where have you and Mr. Yankovic crossed paths in the past? I, I know you're a little more lukewarm on him than the average. I like Weird Al. I, I don't always love listening to his music sometimes i like him more in theory but the big hits the the fat and amish paradise i absolutely love i loved as a kid i love now i am less into the polka melodies i've never thought that he does much interesting with the songs on the polka melodies and and i told you this a while back rich but that even though that's the case i still love this this pretext for talking about the songs from that era, you know, for, for grouping them together. That's, that's really all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't listen to the polka medleys and think like, man, this is the greatest music I've ever heard in my life. Like sometimes he does something clever with them, but generally I just uh, like these medleys introduced me to a lot of, uh, to a lot of the songs we talk about. I, I think every single song and the one we're discussing today, uh, I learned from this medley. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there are some huge songs in this one. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> there was one song on one of his medleys. I think it was a Nine Inch Nails song, and I'm, I'm blanking on what it is. But I thought it was kind of catchy on there. And then when I actually, something about an animal. And then when I actually. Closer. What's that? Yeah, Closer. Month Closer. Closer is the name of the song. Yeah. And then when I actually heard the song, I'm like, ugh, what is this? <laughs> so in that case, I really do appreciate what Weird Al did with it. Also, Bite Your Tongue, that song is amazing. Yeah, that song is great, Ben. Come on. Uh, yeah, that's closer. It's in the alternative polka, which is a few away from this one. Uh, but it. yeah, shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah, so, so today we're going to be talking about the medley Polka Party with an exclamation point from his 1986 album of the same name. And I have a little bit of context uh, before we get to the songs. So to keep people up to speed uh, or for anyone joining us for the first time, here's how this is all going to go. So these episodes are themed around Weird Al Yankovic, but the polka medleys, uh, as Ben said, are really more of a framing device because they like, uh, I realized at one point that they serve as like little time capsules of moments in pop music history, in this case, 1985 and 1986. And I'll bring up relevant detail about Weird Al when it's appropriate, but like, we're going to focus more on the original songs. That said, I do have a little bit of context for this first set, just a little bit. Uh, so yeah, like I said, we're going to start off with the medley Polka Party that comes from the 1986 album of the same name. And it is one of his worst selling albums because like the, the choice of title and cover like gave the impression that it was a full album just entirely of polka music. When in fact, it just follows the standard formula of parodies, originals, and, you know, one polka medley. And if you know any song from the album, it's probably his parody of uh, James Brown's Rocky Four theme, Living in America, titled Living with a Hernia. 
There's a line in that song where he says, the doctor tells me any day I might have to wear a truss. And now that the British Prime Minister is named Liz Truss, like every time I see her name in the news, I get living with a hernia stuck in my head. And it, it already got in my head like enough as it is. And now it gets there even more. <laughs> I guess an, another small thing to note is that the biographical parody film Weird, the Al Yankovic story is coming out on the Roku channel the week this episode drops on our main feed. But we're recording this episode about a month early, so I haven't seen it yet. And I'll, I'll inevitably share my thoughts when I get around to watching it. It'll be the first time ever that I've used the Roku channel. <laughs> but shall we get to the songs? Yeah, do it. Okay, well, here's one of the big ones that I did not know before listening to this set. This is Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Have a big dipper going up and down all around the bends. You could have a bumper car bumping. This amusement never ends. I want to be your sledgehammer. Boy, that's a cool effect. Poco medleys when he does something different or interesting with the songs. And I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he seems to at least that one beat in this song was different and pretty cool. Sledgehammer was released in April 1986 as the first single from Peter Gabriel's fifth album, So. It topped the U.S. charts for a week, and in fact, it knocked Invisible Touch by Genesis out of the top spot. It's the battle of the Genesis members. Uh, in fact, this medley opens with two number one hits from former and then current members of Genesis. And I, I have to think that Al deliberately sequenced it that way specifically to appeal to members of this podcast and a, a really astonishing feat of foresight <laughs> on his part. Go Al. Uh, unfortunately, it was still a few years off until Genesis guitarist Mike Rutherford topped the charts himself with The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. But, you know, you snooze, you lose, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> So Sledgehammer is a pretty sharp left turn from anything Gabriel had recorded to that point, Genesis or otherwise. In 1967, he saw Otis Redding perform at the Ram Jam Club in London. And in a later interview, he said that, quote, you just felt your heart being open when you were in his presence. When he was on, it was like a factory of energy, love and passion, end quote. And man, seeing Otis Redding in 1967, literally the last chance you can get. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah, and just earlier this year, he listed Otis Redding's version of Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come as one of his favorite songs of all time. So the, the Otis Redding runs deep in Peter Gabriel's taste. I was born 
So for his next single, Gabriel wanted to pay tribute to Otis Redding. So he recruited a band, including Redding's trumpet player, Wayne Jackson, and soul singer P.P. Arnold, who sang The First Cut is the Deepest. Then they all hit the studio, and Gabriel sang a party song about his dong. (laughs) Of course, you don't notice any of that when you're a kid, because the lyrics are all about, like, airplanes, steam trains, roller coasters, and bumper cars. But, you know, the song is basically the Kama Sutra crossed with Richard Scarry's cars and trucks and things that go. (laughs) We'll put that image in your head, Amanda. So Sledgehammer got a big boost from its music video, which was directed by Stephen R. Johnson and filmed entirely in stop-motion animation, including a lot of claymation. Gabriel apparently had to sit under a heavy sheet of plate glass for hours on end as the camera picked up every single frame, one at a time. And at the time, you know, skeptics of MTV cried foul like they did at a song like Growing Famous because of its video. But I have to say that nearly four decades on, I I would argue that the song has proven strong enough on its own to develop its own independent legacy, much like uh, Take On Me by AHA. Yeah. Are you able to clip the video? (laughs) (laughs) I'll try. Okay. If you you look at the waveform of this podcast, listeners, it'll form the Sledgehammer video. I don't know how we managed to do that, but we did. We are just that good. Yeah. So, Amanda, what do you think of Sledgehammer? I love Sledgehammer. I've heard it a hundred million billion times, and yet I'm not tired of it. You know, it is just an everlasting bop. And... You know, I've complained before on this podcast in our Renaissance episode how Peter Gabriel's favorite thing to write about is his dong, but he he finds great <laughs> inspiration there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, Big Time on the same album is also very explicitly. Right, the bulge in my big, 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 et cetera. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that song, too. So. Look at my circumstance. <laughs> Yeah, yep. and it's and it's very like uh, I mean uh, you know it's 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 him being like true to the songs he's paying tribute to. There was tons of sexual innuendo in old like soul and blues and R and B song. I got something to tell you, baby. Don't get mad this time. If you want my wiener, you give me ease all up in my mind, baby. Please want my wiener. Oh, want my wiener. Oh yeah, but that also just came naturally to Peter Gabriel as a songwriter. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think Sledgehammer's great. Um, As far as chart information, I feel like I ought to point out that uh, Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues was number nine that week. Oh. It was a great week to be listening to the radio. And Mike and the Mechanics did have a song in the Hot 100 at that time. All I Need is a Miracle was down at number 67, still clinging on to the Hot 100 after it had peaked at number five. I really right. liked that one. There was no solo Collins that week, though. Yeah, I like All I Need is a Miracle way more than The Living Years. I think I think everyone does. <laughs> Probably. Silent Running is the best of the three, though. Yeah, I actually have uh, that the uh, Mike and the Mechanic self-titled album on LP because I found it on the street. <laughs> oh, I remember when you found that on the street. What's the rest of the album like? It's fine. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, like two two songs that I really like. That's worth the price of admission, which was zero dollars on the street. Yeah, there you go. 
Uh, another fun note about the video, which is super fun. I remember seeing it back when it was in regular rotation. It always got our attention. Uh, that was produced by Ardman Animation, the same company that did Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and uh, one thing I also didn't mention is that the director also directed the video to uh, Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads, which is has some pretty similar parts with some stop motion I and claymation. I like that video. It's a great video, yeah. Yeah, my daughter loved that video when she was little. She used to ask for the funny man. <laughs> yeah, it has the little da- it has the little David Byrne like running in the corner of the screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Road to Nowhere, Sledgehammer, classic videos. Yeah, uh, and Take on Me, also a classic video. I love that one. Uh, ben, you like Sledgehammer? I like it. It's got energy. It's it's impressively funky for prog singer guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know a ton about Peter Gabriel, but I think he works better as that spacey, mystical, in your eyes guy than than this. Um, or whatever else he did in Genesis that this podcast seems to love so much. But as a one-off, just him kind of saying, just so you know, I can do this kind of music too. It works really well. I'm not totally convinced that he's horny or that he understands the feeling, but it's a a good attempt at faking it for a few minutes. Just listen to The Lamb Uh, Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis, Ben. If you can stand a, what, a 90-minute long prog album. (laughs) One of these days. I do think the song became a phenomenon because of the video. I mean, it's a really good song to me, but the the fact that it became a cultural phenomenon to me seems more like uh, because of the video than the song itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing, like, so I mentioned that, yeah, this is this polka medley was the first time I heard Sledgehammer. And yeah, that is 100 percent true. And so was actually one of the first albums I ever bought that was not by Weird Al or They Might Be Giants. Like, and it, and it was because mm-hmm. this song jumped out at me from the medley and I wanted to hear the original. And uh, I also saw the video for Big Time on VH1 and was like, wow, these songs sound so fun. I'm going to get the album. And as anyone who's heard so is is aware, those are the only two songs on the album that are like up tempo at all. <laughs> yeah, that sound like that. Yeah. The rest of it is stuff like Mercy Street. <laughs> yeah, and now I love those songs, like the slower, more mm-hmm. like somber ones, like Red Rain, and I even kind of like Don't Give Up, the one with Kate Bush. But um, I go back and forth on that one. It, and also, So is a great album. I just want to make my opinion clear. I enjoy it very, very much. Hey, it's Rich again, speaking to you from post-production. I realized after the fact that I forgot to note that Weird Al, in fact, has two stylistic parodies of Peter Gabriel. The first one is Waffle King, a song about a megalomaniacal waffle fanatic that takes a lot of elements from Sledgehammer. And the second one is Talk Soup, Al's rejected theme song for the show of the same name. And this song sounds a lot like Peter Gabriel's later hit, Steam. Both of these songs are on the same album, 1993's Alapalooza, which is kind of bizarre. Al really likes Peter Gabriel, I guess. Anyway, back to the show, already in progress. Okay, well, let's move on to our second member of Genesis in this in this set. This is Susudio by Phil Collins. There's a girl that's been on my mind all the time. So, 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 do 
Studio was released in January 1985. It was the first single from No Jacket Required, and it hit number one on the Billboard chart. We have talked about Phil Collins before on this podcast. We spent a very long time on two Collins-era Genesis albums back in episode 75, and our friend Libby Cudmore came over to talk about Phil's solo career with me for our Patreon feed. So I'll just do a real brief recap here. The earliest known version of the drum dates to the Neolithic period between <laughs> 5500 and 2350 BC. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Phil Collins was the drummer for Genesis. He started his side hustle as a solo artist in 1981 with In the Air Tonight. He was huge immediately and stayed huge through the 80s and 90s, which is really unusual. Barely anybody has a wildly successful solo career while they're still in a wildly successful band. So that is extremely remarkable. Um, and as as I've mentioned before and talked about with Libby for a long time, I'm a big fan of solo Phil Collins, but I am not a fan of Susudio. In mm. fact, I kind of hate this song and I always have. <laughs> Bring it. Uh, a fun thing about this particular polka medley is that we're now far enough into the 80s that I remember when these songs came out and I hated Susudio from day one. <laughs> <laughs> Four-year-old Amanda was not on board. And that was even long before I realized how much it sounds like Princess Song 1999. Yeah. I've softened a little bit on Susudio lately just because of the nostalgia factor, but for the most part, I still find it very, very annoying, despite the awesome presence of the Phoenix Horns, who turn up quite a lot on Genesis and Phil Collins records from around this time. My opinion is pretty accurately summed up by journalist Tom Service of The Guardian, who wrote at the time, Susudio brings me out in a cold sweat. The production, the drum machine, the inane sincerity of the lyrics, there's no colder or more superficial sound in popular music precisely because it takes itself so seriously. Man, UK journalists, so savage. They really are. <laughs> That's It's a good summation, though. It, it really is. And Phil Collins was perfectly capable of writing solid bangers like Don't Lose My Number and Easy Lover and Something Happened on the Way to Heaven. But Susudio is just empty. I mean, even the title of the song and the repeated refrain is a nonsense word that he just made up while he was playing around with the drum machine and then couldn't come up with anything better. So he just left it. And it's it's so stupid. There is no there's just no substance to this song. It is it's all sound and fury signifying nothing. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I've heard the title interpreted as like, you know, the uh, trying to walk up to someone you have a crush on and that's all that comes out of your mouth. But and and my wife like brought up that theory to me like yesterday. But I said, I think there's less going on than that. Oh, no, he <laughs> didn't put studio. that much thought into it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I used to own No Jacket Required on CD in my teens. But like shortly after buying the album, it dawned on me that I had purchased something deeply uncool and and a cool person <laughs> like me could never stand for that. Like I could not have Phil Collins like sitting alongside my Sting CDs, let me tell you. <laughs> and for the record, I I like Phil Collins. I don't like No Jacket Required. I think it is wildly overrated. It's got Don't Lose My Number on it, but that's I think that's the only song on there that I really like. 
Well, I have Hello, I Must Be Going on LP now, and I also like the first one, mm-hmm. Face Value. Like, there are good Phil Collins albums, and I, honestly, yeah. I like No Jacket Required more than you do, but yeah, like, it's, at the time, I surreptitiously nestled it among my dad's CDs, so he would be the young <laughs> cool one, and I would be the cool one. And then he's like, I must love this album. I don't, I don't know why, but. I don't think he noticed that it was there. Like, he, he reached a point where uh, all he played was the first three tracks on Van Halen's 1984 over and over again. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, but he played it on like, you know, big old dad speakers, which was awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, either way, I've made my peace with Phil Collins since then. Like he, he has a high, he has a lot of highs and lows. And I would say that like I don't care anymore is on the high end and another day in paradise is on the low end. And th- this one is somewhere in the middle. Like I don't love it. I don't hate it. I, I honestly kind of forget it exists sometimes, which is weird for one of his most famous songs. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, uh, well, as far as Phil Collins songwriting goes, like, I think that there's like a whole subcategory of his songs where he'll like open with the chorus. The chorus is very, very repetitive. And then the verses like almost feel like an afterthought just there to get you to the next iteration of the chorus. And yeah. uh, like uh, it, it feels very soul inspired, you know, like don't bore us, get to the chorus. And, you, you know, he did a cover of You Can't Hurry Love, which is to me like one of the best possible iterations of that formula. Uh, yeah. But like, the, and and sometimes Phil pulls it off like Easy Lover, and you know sometimes he really, really doesn't like One More Night. Ooh, yeah. Uh, but usually, like to me, like the song feels kind of like empty and unfinished. Like going to Genesis, you have like Misunderstanding and Man on the Corner, both of which he wrote, and both of which yeah. are. I don't hate them, but they feel kind of empty to me. I love Man on the Corner, but I don't like Misunderstanding. Well, I've been Yeah, and that, that's kind of where, like, Studio lands for me. Like, it's a very, very catchy chorus on sitting on a song that feels very much like a first draft to me. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I was also sensitive when I was younger to what was cool in my collection. <laughs> I made a, a, when I was, like, 14, I made a, a mixtape of, like, radio songs that I loved. And then I realized that Name by Goo Goo Dolls was on it which I liked, but like, what if someone broke into our house and stole this tape and listened to it and associated it with me? So I taped the whole thing to a new tape, except I left off name by Goo Goo Dolls so I could feel better about myself. (laughs) Looking back, it was a really good song. So I love name. That's one of my favorite songs from that whole decade. I like name. Yeah. And I like Iris too. Honestly, I wear that one proudly. Like it was such a (laughs) defiantly uncool song to like in like 1999 or whatever, but I still like it. I also used to keep a blank tape in the radio and just record the songs that I liked when they came on. And I wish to God, I still had those tapes. Yeah. I kept a lot of mine. It's yeah, it was a fun. Mm, that's that, that's what you had back then. Yeah, that was how you got the songs that you liked. If either of you find these uh, th- these tapes, we should just cover them on the podcast. Oh, God, that would be so fun. <laughs> I've put some like I've copied some to my computer. I'll, I'll see what I can find and if, if they would wow. work. The only one I remember specifically was I had one that had Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes immediately followed by Gone Away by The Offspring. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 
unlike most of Discord and Rhyme, I'm agnostic about Phil Collins. I, I trust you that he's a great prog rock drummer. Uh, he has some catchy radio hits and some touching ballads, but for as hard as he tries vocally, I find his voice as distinctive as a rice cake. And that's always kept me from getting too attached to his music. <laughs> Only 39 calories. <laughs> He's such what I admire is he's such an unlikely guy to have unlocked the secret to chart domination. But for a while in the 80s, he knew exactly what to do in order to have huge hits. And that's not luck. That's not a fluke. He did it and he deserves credit for it. Mm -hmm. I am with you guys about Susudio. It's a catchy song. I wish it sounded less processed, but that's what the world wanted in the 1980s. And Phil was canny enough to give it to them. It's not deep, and I don't think about it much, but it's fun. And it's not Susudio's fault that I am a something happened on the way to heaven stan and have been since I was a kid. I love that song, too. I, I actually I think so I, I think I first learned about it from Amanda on Twitter. Like I I never listened to the But Seriously album because I again, I hate Another Day in Paradise, but that's a great one. <laughs> it's so good. I remember when that one was on MTV, too. And we have a sample for this one, or more specifically, an interpolation. So the verse for this song was used on a 2001 track by Old Dirty Bastard that's just called Susudio. I get down with the ace on sounds, lyrics that be flowing from miles around. So let the music shut your ass up and fill the uppercut that would make it fall to your butt. If he calls me. better beat but i still don't like it yeah well i respect the decision to use the uh, to use the verse instead of the chorus but yeah yeah anyway i probably wouldn't i probably would have just ignored that one but because it because it's honestly not that great but it led me down a rabbit hole and i discovered that it came from a 2001 tribute album called urban renewal where uh, where hip-hop and r&b stars covered and sampled phil collins songs whoa wow was this a collection of songs that had already happened or were was that done on assignment? Uh, I think it's a combination of like stuff that already existed and stuff that was done like directly commissioned for the compilation. But e- either way, wow. I have a I have a couple to play for you. Yes, please. So here is Brandy covering Another Day in Paradise. She calls out to the man on the street. Sir, can you help me? It's cold. Take her voice over his. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like that one better than the original just because it's such a low floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was going to say, I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say I like it, but I dislike it less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and here's the strangest one to me. This is Khalees doing I Don't Care Anymore, produced by the Neptunes. You can tell everyone I'm a town so drag my name all I don't care That works as a hip-hop chorus. It does. And I am Mr. Hip-Hop. I know my stuff. I'm looking up the track. I'm so curious about this. I'm looking up the track list. Lil' Kim doing In the Air Tonight? Wow. Well, the Lil' Kim one is really just like 
the chorus from uh, directly sampled from in the air tonight and then rapping. It's very similar to the studio one. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's worth like clicking through on YouTube. If you find it uh, there, there are some cases where they turn like songs like easy lover and something happened on the way to heaven into ballads, which I'm like, no, Phil Collins already has oh, enough no. ballads. Don't turn, don't turn his fast songs into ballads. Yeah, it's a scarce resource. Seriously. So let's move on to the third song. This is party all the time by a fellow known as, Edward Murphy. <laughs> Sounds like a classy fella. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the time. She parties all the time. Talk about your flashes in the pan. <laughs> Eddie Murphy had a single top 10 hit in the early 80s, and then he almost completely disappeared from the musical landscape. Okay, Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy. Now, the name Eddie Murphy sounds like he should be my Dunkin' Donuts guzzling plumber here in Massachusetts, uh, but it's to his credit that the name Eddie Murphy is instantly recognizable as that of a groundbreaking comedy star and successful actor. He had comedy specials, a well-remembered run on Saturday Night Live during years when almost nobody else is well-remembered, and a number of classic movies. What's everyone's favorite Eddie Murphy movie here? Coming to uh, America. I mean, just, I, I've always loved it. Uh, good choice, yeah. I like Coming to America, but I'm going with Trading Places. That's a great one. I, I have to say that mine is Bowfinger from the 90s wow. with Steve Martin. Swift has that moment. When? Yeah. You say, I enjoy meeting you, Cliff. Then you push the guy right over the cliff. That's too much for the audience to have to think about. They have to know that the guy's name is Cliff, and that he's on a cliff, and that a cliff and a cliff is the same. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. What's been almost completely forgotten is that Eddie Murphy had a music career in the mid-1980s, if a brief one. Between 1985 and 1993, Eddie released three albums of genuine music. Straight, serious, no laughs, like Daddy Daycare. <laughs> <laughs> Party All the Time was the lead single from Eddie's 1985 debut, How Could It Be? And while it might shock you to learn that Eddie Murphy knew Rick James, his pal Rick James actually wrote, produced, and sang backing vocals on Party All the Time. The song was Murphy's biggest hit, reaching number two on the Hot 100 and staying there for three weeks. After this, he only made it to the pop charts one more time with... 1989's Put Your Mouth on Me, which. As 
As for the song, it, it is odd that for a number two hit from one of the decade's biggest stars in any form of entertainment, Party All the Time has almost completely disappeared from pop culture. I don't remember it from growing up in the 80s. I don't think I've ever heard it on regular radio or satellite radio. It's possible that Eddie paid a lot of money to make that happen. I don't know. <laughs> it's a fun song, though. It's not brilliant. It's more catchy from sheer forceful repetition rather than from a brilliant hook, sort of like early Elvis Costello in that way. <laughs> um, can, can never pass of a chance to take a dig at Elvis Costello's <laughs> melodies. <man. laughs> but the combination of, of loud synth bass and pounding drums is undeniably fierce. The song just grabs you. As for the guy singing, he's fine. He's there. It's telling that when the song's Svengali, Rick James, comes in at the end to duet with Eddie, he blows Eddie out of the water. But then Rick James couldn't have made trading places, so maybe they're even. Yeah, on, on the subject of like the song kind of disappearing, uh, uh, like on that on that note, like this song actually went viral a couple of years ago because Gen Z and I guess like younger millennials discovered that it existed and said, wow, Eddie Murphy oh. had a song in the 80s. And yeah, <laughs> oh, and, wow. and, and my instinct was like to scoff and say, like, you don't know party all the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there was there was a time when like Jane Fonda was like the woman from the exercise videos and like Candace Bergen was the woman from the sprint ads to me. So th this happens to all of us as we <laughs> learn the wider world of culture. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, what do you think of this one? Uh, I do remember this from the 80s, but I hadn't heard it or thought about it for a very long time. And it's it, it's the sound of it is a little bit darker than I remembered. Like the the arrangement is a little bit more ten in, intense than had stuck in my head and it's but overall I don't know that it's a it's fine it's I'm not surprised that it was a hit it's catchy enough he's a he's a very 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 big name <laughs> uh but it's I don't know it it's a little insipid but it's competent it's about as far as I can go <laughs> Yeah, basically same here. Well, well, first off, the hook on this song has always reminded me of Thong Song by Cisco. Let me see that thong. Oh, jeez. <laughs> also, I did my due diligence for this episode, and I listened to the whole album that this comes from, How Could It Be? What was that like? Well, it's only 34 minutes long, which is, <laughs> which is fortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's not good, but... I don't know. It's also not the same level of like inexplicable celebrity vanity project as like, you know, Scarlett Johansson singing Tom Waits covers or Joe Pesci's album. Vincent LaGuardia Gambini sings just for you. Beat out my ass, treat all my bras like trash. You'll catch a blast if you move too fast. I talk with class. You don't have to ask. Getting everything by flash and cash. Fighting and stealing. Don't kill without feeling. So I went in casinos before they start dealing. All about respect and intellect. Only mess with the women. <laughs> wow. One thing I think is funny is that like Eddie Murphy is posing with a piano on the cover. And my first instinct was to think that he was just like play acting as a musician. But uh, Eddie Murphy actually does play piano, apparently, including oh. on one oh. song on the album called My God is Colorblind.
But yeah, like party all the time. It's basically just a Rick James song in a in very thin disguise. Like he's 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 in the video and he's like very prominent in it. You can you can tell that he's like running the show. And you know, if you count this as part of the Rick James discography, it's actually his biggest hit on the Hot 100. Like as Ben said, it hit number oh, wow, two. Oh wow, really? Wow. Yeah. In fact, it hit number two behind the next song we'll be talking about. But we'll get there soon. But yeah, like I, I, I don't know if anyone would remember the song if it didn't have the star power attached to it and barely anyone remembers it anyway. But, you know, personally, like when the vocals aren't there, like th- this is kind of just a type of like dark mid 80s synth music that I personally can just vibe with, even if it's not like exceptional. Like I, I don't mind having mm-hmm. it on, which is about the best thing I can say about it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it, it works as a radio hit. Yeah. And as, as far as songs go, uh, where men like condescend to women for wanting to party, I, th- this is way better than All She Wants to Do is Dance by Don Henley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that song. If I can turn off the lyrics, which is hard for me to do, I I, I, I can kind of get behind it. But yeah. Well, it, it helps, I think, that unusually for me, I've never paid a whole lot of attention to the lyrics. I only really know the chorus. So I'm just going to try not to let them sink into my consciousness. Okay, well, <laughs> here's the fourth song. It is the return of Lionel Richie to the Discord and Rhyme podcast. We thought we were through with him, but <laughs> he's we back. We tried so hard. <laughs> this is Say You, Say Me. Say you. Say me. Say it for always. That's the way it should be. Say you. Say me. Say it together. always that's the way it should be say you say me say it together naturally I had a dream I had an awesome dream Playing games in the dark And what they played Was a masquerade From behind the walls of doubt A voice was crying out It's a very yes-influenced synth line back there. Hmm. (laughs) Well, that is Rick Wakeman. No, it's not. So part of the reason we stopped our Motown, the complete number ones project early was because as we reached the late 70s and early 80s, it was requiring us to listen to an increasing and unacceptable amount of Lionel Richie. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not a joke. That really is part of why we stopped doing that series. (laughs) Yeah, but but, but he managed to sneak his way back onto the show and get his revenge on us. Damn you, Lionel (laughs) Richie. So Say You, Say Me was released in October 1985, and it topped the U.S. Hot 100. And as I said before, it, it prevented Party All the Time from hitting number one. And it comes from the soundtrack to the Cold War musical drama White Nights, starring Mikhail Baryshnikov. Or to be more accurate, it appears in the movie White Nights, but not the official soundtrack, because a Motown artist appearing on a non-Motown release would interfere with Barry Gordy's revenue stream, and that is a problem. I can't have that. Regardless, Lionel Richie won the Academy Award for Best Original Song for this single, beating out The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News from Back to the Future, and thus earning my eternal wrath. (laughs) That's so weird. Yeah. Have you heard of White Nights? I had not heard of it. I've heard of it in the context of 
a different song that's on there, but I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. Well, more on that later. But yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those like Oscar movies that exists to win Oscars. I mean, you know, I, I brought this up to my wife yesterday and she said, you know, there are Oscar movies from last year I don't remember existed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we talked about three Lionel Richie ballads by the Commodores back in our final Motown episode. And you can basically copy paste my comments for those songs onto Say You, Say Me. And the, <laughs> the, the one difference is that there's like this completely incongruous uptempo bridge toward the end that shows up for just 20 seconds and then just completely hoofs it. Say it together That's so weird. Yeah. It just turns into this whole other better song. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd ever listened to this song for long enough to realize that part was there. Like it shows up at like the three minute mark out of four and then just disappears. It, yeah. it, it does make me wish that Lionel Richie had more fast songs. Like you have, you know, you have all night long, all night. You have dancing on the ceiling. Are there any other ones? Uh... <laughs> I guess if we'd gone through the Mochan, the complete number one series to its conclusion, we would have found out. But we're not going to do that. Well, you are is a little up tempo. I love oh, yeah. you are. That's a good song. You are the sun. You are the rain. And makes my life this foolish thing. You need to know I love you so. And I do it all again and again. And plus, I I have the Dancing on a Ceiling album and I was listening to Say You, Say Me and the next track called Night Train, Smooth Alligator. I don't know. I don't remember if it's good, but it's at least up-tempo 80s dance music. Smooth Alligator. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> that I'm amazed Weird Al didn't run with that. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Sometimes I feel guilty for not like warming up to Lionel Richie the same way I have to Phil Collins. But uh, for what it's worth, as uh, as Amanda alluded to earlier, Phil Collins also had a song on the White Knight soundtrack called Separate Lives that also hit number one. Uh, It was also nominated for an Academy Award. And in my mind, it's way worse than Say You, Say Me. (laughs) (laughs) I can't go on just holding on to time. I actually like Lionel Richie's ballads a lot. I'm thinking of Easy Like Sunday Morning, Stuck on You, Do It to Me One More Time, though I wish he could have clarified what it means because I've never figured that out. I like Easy too. We were very positive on that one back in the Motown series. Yeah, that's that's just universally beloved. I think he's a genuinely gifted songwriter. I do wish he would put some more energy into his music, some indication that he's occasionally breaking a sweat for our entertainment. I wish in this case that he was trying as hard as as Weird Al obviously is on the polka version. Say You Say Me is an enjoyable, breezy, relaxing ballad and Lionel sings it warmly. I like his voice. And there's that weird bridge that Rich talked about. It's like a refugee from a different song or a different album or even a different artist. 
So it's a nice song. He doesn't shoot any higher than nice and he doesn't land any higher than nice, but it's nice. I was thinking that would be like a fun idea for like one of our Patreon bonus episodes, like songs that have a completely incongruous part that shows up and just disappears. Uh, There must be a bunch of other ones. Yeah, probably. I just can't think of any examples right now off the top of my head. (laughs) Amanda, what do you think of this one? Boring. I I don't know. I don't I don't like the song, but I also don't really dislike it. it. There's just it's so boring. I can't work up any opinion about it really much at all. This is another one that I remember from when it was, you know, in regular rotation on Top 40 Radio and my whole family disliked it. It was, <laughs> I remember that specifically. My mom would always, we'd always holler at her to change the radio station when it came on. <laughs> so yeah, this doesn't really do much for me. And for the record, I don't really like separate lives, but I like it better than say you say me just cause there's little, it, I don't know. It sounds like there's a little bit more effort that went into it and it's less of a just generic paint by numbers, eighties ballad than say you say me is. Oh, and one last thing about this song. So, yeah, there, there's the lyric. Uh, I had a dream. It was an awesome dream, which I which I think is funny. But it also <laughs> but it also made me like think about like when like the term awesome became mm-hmm. like a piece of uh, a piece of slang that was used all the time. And it, it turns out it was around this point because of Jeff Jeff Spicoli oh, wow. in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, wow. OK. Awesome. Totally awesome. Oh, what do you know? Like that's when all of the surfer slang entered the lingo like that and Valley Girl, the movie, like basically like, you know, was, you know, California slang's big introduction to the cultural lexicon. Did not know that. So let's go on to track five here. This is Aretha Franklin with Freeway of Love. We're going riding on the freeway of love. When's the kids are back? We're going riding on the freeway (laughs) I like the little accordion car horn there. Yeah. June 1985, and it got to number three on the Hot 100 and number one on the Hot Black Singles chart, as it was called at the time. It was the first single and the first track on Aretha's 30th studio album, Who's Zoomin' Who? Damn. That's a lot of albums. Yeah. Regular note to self here that Freeway of Love is a different song from Pink Cadillac, (laughs) although... They do both feature Clarence Clemens on the saxophone. Oh. Yeah, Clarence Clemens was like, I have to be on all songs that are related to Cadillacs. (laughs) Yes, especially if they're pink. 
We talked about Aretha Franklin way back in episode six. So if you are the kind of brave explorer who is comfortable listening to the first few episodes of any given podcast, oh, that's God. where you can find out about her early career. You mean that episode where I left my dryer running in the background <laughs> and my microphone picked it up? <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah, we did not know what we were doing. We didn't. We thought we did, but we were wrong. I think we're better now. As for Aretha Franklin, she had a little bit less commercial success in the late 70s and early 80s until Freeway of Love, Who's Zoomin' Who, and Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves in 1985, which were all big hit singles. Freeway of Love. Um, I get to be in charge of the two songs on this batch that I like the least. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's kind of funny how this ended up being like half songs I like and half songs I don't really like. Uh, this one has basically all the same problems as the studio, except without the stupid nonsense word. It's it's very energetic, which I like a lot, but it's all slick and polished and there's just there's way too much saxophone. <laughs> I just, I don't like saxophones this is a lot like how ben feels about the accordion <laughs> i think that the 80s blaring sax sound really gets on my nerves yeah same and i i always like listening to aretha franklin sing but not enough to want to hear this particular song very much and it's almost six minutes long yeah but there is one really lovely piece of Aretha's legacy that came out of this song. Over 100 pink Cadillacs participated in her funeral procession back in 2018. Wow. Which I think is really nice. <laughs> that, 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 that is lovely. Just like everybody with a pink Cadillac in the vicinity turned up. <laughs> they issued a call for all pink Cadillacs and the, it was like an APB or something. <laughs> they might have. I'm not sure. But I really love that that happened. I think that's great. So I also listened to Who's Zoom and Who for the first time in prep for this episode. And well, it's better than the Eddie Murphy album. In fact, it's way better than the Eddie Murphy album. But <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, it's well, I, I guess the way I would rate it is it's not bad. It's not great. It's basically like your standard, like, you know, B minus three stars, John McFerrin, hexadecimal reading nine, like <laughs> uh, it, it, ex, uh -huh. expensive mid 80s pop album. And like, it, like expensive yeah. is how I would describe this song. It sounds yeah. expensive, like like, just yep. look at the personality. I mean, you mentioned Clarence Clemens on sax, but there, there are also two keyboardists, two percussionists, and there's also apparently Santana's rhythm section in there as well. They're just billed as the Santana rhythm section. Uh, you got yeah. congas, synth bass, tambourine, and eight backing vocalists, including, I think, uh, what, Sylvester, the disco star, and his backing vocalists. Like, mm -hmm. it, this is a huge production, and th that's great. Like, Aretha's great. She deserves the best. But, you, you, like, can you tell that there are that many people on this song? Because I can't. No. No. It sounds, for that many people, you would think it would sound more full. But it's, I don't know, it just sounds very bare. Yeah. Like, it needs more filling out. Yeah, it's it's very like too many cooks in the kitchen or like putting too many toppings on a pizza or something like you, you can barely yeah. make out any of the individual performers. There's too much going on and it's not mixed well enough. It's this big yeah. like reverby mush. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So it sounds it's too busy and also a little empty. Yeah, which is weird. Well, so uh, and I, I like the song who's zooming who and I really like sisters are doing it for themselves, but. 
Free, free away of love doesn't do anything for me. I used to read an 80s music news group on Usenet in the 90s. Like I was the 14-year-old kid on the 80s news group. And <laughs> an observation that somebody made there that stuck with me for a long time is that there's like a very sharp divide between early 80s and late 80s pop music. Like early 80s mm. pop tends to be more like rough and scrappy because like all sorts of new electronic gear was coming out and people were still learning the rules and what could and couldn't be done. And by the late 80s, uh, which is the pivot point we're getting to with this Poke medley, uh, the tech had improved and like everyone had a better idea of how to use the gear, but like not how to use it tastefully mm-hmm. <laughs> necessarily <Yeah. laughs> or, or mix it all together well. And I, I remember like in our circle of amateur reviewers back in the 90s, like 1986 was regarded as like this dark year when all of the old classic rockers released their worst albums of all time. Yeah. And more, more on that in the next episode, actually. <laughs> because they all started playing the instrument that sounds like the instrument instead of just playing the instrument. And and I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's my main takeaway from Freeway of Love. Like, I mean, Aretha is great, but she sounds like completely smothered by the bigness of the production. Like, I, I, I wish there were like a simpler version of this song because like one of the things that made... Her old records, like, you know, I, I would I never loved a man the way I loved you, uh, that, which we talked about back in episode six. Like her voice was the center of the mix. She yeah. was the reason you were there. But here she's yeah. just like lost in this like gunk. <laughs> yeah. And, and for a voice as big as hers to sound smothered the way it is, I mean, something's gone badly wrong. Yeah. I love that even the other guys from Santana don't know who they are. All they know is that they are the Santana (laughs) rhythm section. Like we just talked about, I mean, the 80s had a sound, or I guess the the early 80s had a distinct sound. This one sounds very similar to Party All the Time, at least the backing track. I mean, there's a real formula going on. Freeway of Love does have a driving backing track. Pun not intended, but probably formulated via a lazy mental association. (laughs) It's got that processed early 1980s production which I reflexively don't like, but it does build up impressive energy. I worried going in that Aretha, who had such a distinctive sound in the 1960s, might not translate to a more electronic, overproduced 1980s sound, but she still rules here. She is way more convincingly Randy than Peter Gabriel. Uh, She just sounds so good. (laughs) I don't know why I was surprised by that. This is not the reason anyone is going to remember Aretha Franklin. Uh, although I love that story about the pink Cadillac. So I guess I'm glad yeah. they remembered that much. Mm-hmm. But this works as a radio song with a great vocal performance from a legend who I should not have doubted. Oh, and Amanda, you mentioned sisters are doing it for themselves earlier. And mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, if, if listeners don't know, is Aretha Franklin's duet with uh, with Eurythmics. Well, like, well, Annie Lennox, her duet with Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart is also there. And I actually have <laughs> a cover of that song to play that should delight each of you for different reasons. Is it by Nazareth? No. can't place whether it's Simon or Alvin or Theodore. OK, 
Okay, so that was Yardley Smith as Lisa Simpson duetting with Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart. Wow. There was a small little voice in the back of my head going, is that Nancy Wilson? (laughs) But it doesn't really sound like her. Oh, my God. It's both of them. But yeah, (laughs) it it, it comes from the second album uh, released in conjunction with The Simpsons, the Yellow album, which was so bad that it was held back from release for about a decade. What was the first? It was The Simpsons Sing the Blues, the one that had Do the Bartman on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. No one likes that one either. But yeah, I love sisters doing it for themselves. And one thing I just learned is that like uh, is is that the a lot of the band on that song is uh, is members of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Like Mike Campbell, Stan Lynch, and Ben Montage are all on that song. Mm. Oh wow! And it's a way better sounding song to me than Freeway of Love, which is why I've just started talking yeah. about that song instead of Freeway of Love. <laughs> it's a very good song. Okay, well let's finish off this set. This is Inks's, excuse me, in excess with what you need. Excess was formed in 1977 in Australia by the three Ferris brothers and their friend Michael Hutchins. It took a few years of grinding, but they broke big in Australia in the early 1980s, and then they broke huge across the world in the late 1980s, and they've sold 80 million albums across their career, and now nobody cares about them, or at least they're a punchline and people acknowledge that they had a few hits but I have a sentimental attachment to In Excess. Uh, I discovered them in college and I bought all their albums because they're all available for cheap. The best reason to buy anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ben, I was going to say, I'm glad we finally get an opportunity to talk about In Excess because uh, uh, they got played a lot on VH1 and they're easy to find in the dollar bin. And that's right where our paths in life intersect. Yeah. No, Rich and I have been talking about In Excess, you know, off podcast for like 20 years. And yeah, so it's nice to be able to talk about them on here. I really, I listened to them and I came to love their amiable, earnest and danceable vibe, which thanks to a lot of indistinct songwriting is often all that they have going for them, but they were all good on their instruments. And Michael Hutchins was to me a great singer with a supple voice that demands your attention, even when the song itself doesn't earn it. These were scruffy, humble guys, and it really makes me happy that they became unlikely megastars for a couple of years in the 80s. Trust me, I don't like saying nice things about Australians, but I have to here. (laughs) As lame as their album tracks can be, each NXS album had at least one or two certified bangers that still light up the radio decades later. 
What You Need is one of them. It is such a song. It's got everything and then some. It's stomping, stuttering funk music. It's one of the best examples of NXS's not really melodic chorus, but just gets into your head anyway, chanted chorus. Everyone is on fire here. The bass burbles, the jangly funk guitar is played aggressively and uncharacteristically for the 1980s. And I agree with Amanda here, but in this case, the saxophone lifts up the song, which you don't normally get. Yeah. On top of it all, Michael Hutchins struts and swaggers like the great front man that he was. So, yeah, this is one of the all time greats to me. Yeah, this one was actually put onto the album at the last minute because like uh, it, it comes from their album, 1985 album, Listen Like Thieves. And no, uh, pretty much nothing on the rest of the album sounds like this. But apparently like, well, you, you know, to quote Tom Petty, their their A&R man said, I don't hear a single. <laughs> and so they just went in and jammed this one out and it changed their career. Wow. The future was wide open. It was. Yeah. <laughs> the sky was the limit. Amanda, what do you think of this one? I like it. I've never heard any in excess albums all the way through, but I've always really enjoyed their singles quite a lot. Um, and this one is for sure one of their top tier singles for, I mean, for all the reasons Ben said. And as for that saxophone, it's I, it, it's mixed better, I think, in this track. So it's it's part of the instrumental arrangement rather than being the only thing you hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't suck all the air out of the room the way <laughs> the one on Freeway of Love does. Yeah, I, um, I, I was thinking this forms a nice contrast to like the 80s production we talked about on Freeway of Love and like yeah. Sue Studio. Like this is a nice sounding song. Yeah, it really is. This it's mixed well, it's produced well, it's tasteful I, rather than just being as big and glaring as it could possibly be. That wasn't that wasn't what they were after. And it shows and it in excess were really good at writing hooks. Mm-hmm. When they and again, I haven't heard their album tracks, but the hooks in their singles are great. Yeah. And the best illustration of that, it doesn't come from this song, but um, I have a bunch of their singles just on my iPod. And when my daughter was very little, she asked me for the song that goes doot 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 da la 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 la, <laughs> <laughs> and I knew which one she meant. <laughs> yeah. There's it's it's the rare hook that can be spoken to you by a two or three year old and you recognize right away what she's talking about. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So as as for me, I bought a, yeah, I bought a bunch of NXS albums in high school because, again, they were very cheap, just two or three bucks a piece or, or a dollar. And yeah, I, I've been familiar with them for so long that I think I've I've taken for granted that they're kind of a weird band like this is. This is a pretty weird song, if you ask me. Like, it, it stands mm-hmm. right out from the other songs we've listened to so far. Like, like, like just just listen to that riff. Like, that's a strange riff, right? And I know that it I is. just impersonated it like perfectly right there. I thought it was good. Cool. Uh, that well, I'll begin my acapella career here, <laughs> and it, it all started here because of you. 
Damn it, Ben. <laughs> Pentatonics, here I come. <laughs> and Michael Hutchins is like, he's like the human version of that riff. Like he bounces all over the arrangement. He's never content to repeat himself. He's a, he was a great, great front man. And like, because yeah. uh, I, I would say in excess were never a particularly melodic band, at least, at least at this point, but they were an extremely like kinetic band and they got like a ton of mileage out of that. Like you can't always hum along, but it's just like fun to sit down and listen to all the moving parts. Uh, like, uh, and you know, like the way they fit in the saxophone and just, there's just so much going on in this song. And I, I also love how it doesn't really end like, uh, or at least end in a traditional fashion. Like there's a third verse after the breakdown, but instead of going into the chorus, there's like a big saxophone swell from Kirk Pengilly. And then the song just kind of wanders off. There's no third chorus. Hey you, don't you listen? This is not the end of love. Don't you see it's the rhythm? Take you where you really need to be. Yeah, and this used to this used to annoy me, but now it's just like another great example of the band just never making the obvious choice. Yeah. Yeah. Also in the context of their broader career, like something I'd never realized until recently is that this song was kind of a pivot point for the band because uh, like, like I said earlier, nothing else on Listen Like Thieves sounds like this and they don't really have any songs on their earlier albums that are in this vein. Like, in fact, like this is as far as I'm aware, the first time Michael Hutchins like takes on like the classic Michael Hutchins vocal role, he used to sing a lot more and here he's like much more about like vamping and just jumping all over the mix and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Good observation. Yeah. Cause uh, well, one thing I'm not going to get out of this episode without clipping is that their earlier albums are much more new wave and their 1982 single don't change, which is my first personal favorite song by them. It kind of sounds like a prototype for the new pornographers. Yeah. Which I never would have thought of from in excess. Yeah. And it stands alone in their catalog. Great song. Resolution that if their albums had been two or three dollars i would never have gotten into the band so i'm just grateful that prices were lower in florida back when we were in college you know what's <laughs> funny is I, I bought so many of their albums but i never bought their most famous one kick which has oh. like a lot of their hits on it like uh, uh like Niji Tonight, Never Tear Us Apart, New Sensation, Mediate, just a, a ton of their biggest songs. And I just never bought it for whatever reason. Kick is great. Huh. Yeah, I also like their album from the early 90s, uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are, which is like a, a very blatant attempt to emulate Octung Baby by U2, but it's a really good one. Yeah, that is, that's one that, that we've always talked about. That, that's a great album. And the follow-up to Kick X is also a fantastic album. And, and as much as I love the band, they didn't always keep things going from from the beginning to the end of an album but kick and x are both worth revisiting yeah definitely hmm. well that's where and i'll start then welcome to wherever you are 
right. Well, I think that's it for the first half of Polka Party. Or excuse me, Polka Party, because it has an exclamation point. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, both of you. It is always a fun time. This is the these compilation episodes about Weird Al are the most self-indulgent thing I do for the <laughs> podcast. And I'm glad that you're willing to join me for oh, them. this has been great. <laughs> They're fun. I'll talk about a bunch of mid-80s singles anytime. <laughs> well, speaking of, so listeners, join us next time for the second half of the medley, which features songs by Janet Jackson, Bananorama. Falco, Tears for Fears, Madonna, and the Rolling Stones. And since it's the mid-80s, it is absolutely guaranteed to be the Stones in peak form. <laughs> yes. Classic period. <laughs> Classic. What do you call this record with all these songs? This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is Kong. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com. And you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. This closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and is based on This Is Pop by XTC, originally written by Andy Partridge. And you can find Kenneth's music at bandcamp.com. Editing and production is by me, Rich Bunnell. We'll be back with more polka tunes in two weeks. And in the meantime, keep as cool as you can.